0: 1 Samuel 16 is kind of a ballpark place if you want to start there. In First Samuel 16 we have for the last, oh, I don't know, we've probably been doing it for eight weeks or so. For the last eight weeks, we have been looking at some of the different characters in Scripture. Um, Started in Genesis with Adam and we've been trying to kind of hit the high ones. And so we're not going to hit every single name you see referenced in Scripture, but we are definitely looking at some of the the, uh, better known characters, both male and female, um, that we see in the Bible. And when we come to these characters, we're asking three questions. Why do we we know them? Or I'm sorry, who were they? Why do we know them? And then what lessons do they teach us? Because not only does Scripture, um, is God revealing Himself to us, but then also God reveals things about us to us through Scripture. Through the models and the examples that we have of people that gone before us. I realize that we are living today and we think we're the only ones that have ever gone through what we're going through right now and there's no one else just like us. They say oh, you're just like a snowflake. You are one of a kind. And you are One of a kind, but many, 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 if not all of the things we face spiritually. People have already faced before. People have already dealt with before. People have already struggled with before. And so you and I have the opportunity to look through Scripture and look at these examples that we have of men and women who have come before us, and to say, "How did they live?" And let's look at the things we can learn from them. Things that we can that things to take away, things to leave alone. But there's always something we can learn by looking at the different characters that we have in Scripture. So tonight we're going to talk about the character of David. Now David is like. Trying to go to the book of Revelation and trying to summarize the book of Revelation in 15 minutes. There is just so much there. In fact, it is in 1 Samuel 16, where David first really comes on the scene. He goes all the way through the rest of 1 Samuel, all the way through 2 Samuel, and I think it's 2nd King or 1 Kings chapter 3 before he finally um, steps off into the sunset. So a large portion of Scripture is devoted to David. And not just a large port of scripture. Port, a portion of scripture in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 Kings, but also David wrote as many, or if not more, than 70 of the Psalms that we have recorded in the book of Psalms. And so, how many Psalms are there in the book? 150? I think that's a pretty close guess. So, you know, if you figure there's a, there's 150, David wrote 70 of them. That's not quite 50%, but that's getting really, really close to 50% of the book of Psalms was written by one guy. So he is a very prominent figure. Don't expect, um, I don't expect for us to cover every single detail about the life of David, but we can definitely look at the high points. So, we talked about the three questions. Who was he? Why do we know him? And what does he teach us? So when we think about the question, who was he? We're asking about biographical information. Who is David? Daddy was, who his mama was, who his wife, wife, or wives were, what his kids' names were, uh, maybe just some biographical that information. So, what do you all know about David when it comes to who he was? I'm not talking about what he did. Well, of course, we get to David and Goliath here in a little while. We, we know about what he did. That's not the question at the moment. The question is, who was he? What do we know about him? Dad, mom, brothers, sisters? Kids? What do we know? Son of Jesse. Son of Jesse? Where do you get that at, Mr. Terry? In Memory? Chapter 16. Chapter 16? That's right. Alright, so chapter 16 and verse 1, it introduces Jesse as being a Bethlehemite. Bethlehemite. Uh, yeah, one of them guys. It identifies Jesse as being one of those guys. Alright? And he is identified as being the... Um, father of Jesse, do we know the mother of, not the father of Jesse, the father of David. Do we know the mother of David? Do we know her name? No ma'am? We don't have the name of the mother of David, at least that I could find recorded in Scripture. I couldn't find any place where it's recorded about who his um, mother was. What do we know about family? His grandmother was Grandmother was Ruth, that's right. That's right. What else do we know about him? tammy siblings? Seven brothers. Seven brothers? Okay, do you know their names? No. Wagon wheel, wagon wheel, wagon wheel, wagon wheel. <laughs> right? All right, so if you go down there to chapter 16 and uh, let's say verse 6. Um, when Samuel comes to the house of Jesse and he says hey I'm here to sacrifice and he asks Jesse to parade the boys in front of him you will see the uh, I think it's the first four that are brought in front of him that are named and the first four come through and here in chapter 16 it talks about that in verse 10 Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse the Lord has not chosen these so here's just a little bit of a, a quirk, if you will, here in chapter 16, the way that I read it, and your translation may be a little different, the way that I read it, it says that there were seven boys that came before Jesse, and then he went and called David, which leads me to believe that there were eight sons. However, you turn over to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 2 and verse 13 and it gives us the genealogy of Jesse. It says in verse 13, Jesse fathered his firstborn son, his secondborn son, his thirdborn son, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Um, so it lists there in the genealogy in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 that there were seven sons, including David. Now, sometimes you have people that you may see in comments or social media posts and they want to go to seed over there. So they want to say, hey, look, in 1 Samuel 16 it said this, and 1 Chronicles chapter 2 it said this, and then they start to say, oh see, the Bible is inaccurate, or the Bible is not consistent and they're trying to find all these ways to pick apart the Word of God don't get sucked into that Don't don't get bought into that idea. It tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 that he had seven sons. You get over to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and it said he had the seven sons go before him. And you may say, well then Spence, how do you explain that? Well, one of the things that I've learned is when you come to the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language doesn't always tell the story in a linear fashion or a chronological fashion. Normally it'll tell the story with a person and then after it's done with this person, it'll go to this person telling the story. But sometimes the stories overlap, but the Hebrew doesn't show that, hey, these stories were happening simultaneously. Does that make sense? So it'd be like if you came into church tonight and I started telling the story about how early that he was eating his supper, and I told all about how early was eating his supper, and then I started telling about the kids outside playing blitzball, you might think in your English thinking that the one happened after the other. Or in actuality, the two were happening simultaneously. So you get back to First Samuel chapter 16, and when he said he had the seven sons, yeah, seven sons because David was one of his sons, and that was there. And So he's telling the story from one perspective, and then he's like shifting angles, and he's telling it from another perspective. So why do I bring that up? Because sometimes we can get caught up in looking for a boogeyman that isn't there looking for a problem that doesn't exist. So in 1 Samuel 16, it talks about Jesse having seven sons. If you go to 1 Chronicles 2, it says that Jesse had seven sons and he had two daughters. So we think about his dad, think about his mom as it mentioned, talk about his grandmother, talk about his grandfather, talk about his brothers, A couple of sisters. What about, a? was he married? Was David married? Okay. Anybody know some names of people that he was married to? Michael. Michael. Abigail. Abigail. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you get over to chapter eighteen, this is still First Samuel chapter eighteen and verse twenty-seven. You see, the first wife that he was married to was named Michael. And if you remember to last week when we were talking about it, the price that he had to pay to marry Michael, anybody remember that? That he had to. It was, a, it was a unique dowry that he had to provide as a bride price for Michael. So chapter eighteen and verse twenty-seven, it talks about him taking Michael as a wife. But then if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 25 and in verse 42. 25, verse 42. I messed up. Where did I mess up at? No, Okay. It talks about some more of his wives. So it says, verse 42, And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messenger David, became his wife. Verse 43, David also took... Ananom of Jezreel and both of them became his wives Saul had given Michael his daughter David's wife to Palti the son of Laish who was from Golem so you have from there you have this idea that by this point by this time in the story that he has Michael who then gets given as he takes off the run Michael gets given to a different woman by Saul but he's also got Abigail and Ananom but then you go to 2 Samuel just a few pages, complete turning just a few pages to your right, you get to 2 Samuel and chapter 3 and in verse 2, it talks about all of the wives of David. And if my reading is correct, in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 2, it explains that he had six wives. That's a lot. That's a lot of birthdays and anniversaries to remember. That was That's right. That was before Bathsheba. So he has, there in 2 Samuel chapter 3, he now by this time in the story, he has six wives, and then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and then in walks Bathsheba. She's lucky number 7, right? And then she comes in, and then later on in 2 Samuel chapter 15, you see when David leaves, because Absalom is coming to take over the kingdom, that when David leaves, he leaves some concubines, which those were like, like your you know second class wives he leaves them behind to take care of the palace anybody remember how many concubines he left ten so chapter uh, 15 and verse 17 of 2 Samuel he gives us this indication that he left ten concubines so There may be some more that weren't mentioned, but by this count so far, he's got seven wives and he's got ten concubines. Now this does not compare at all to what his son's going to do later on when Solomon comes to the throne, but you can just imagine there's a lot going on in David's house. (laughs) A whole, just a lot of sisterhood going on right there. And then you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 through verse 5, it talks about the boys that were um, born to each one of his wives and these are names that you'll see come up later in the story of David. So, um, you got David's dad, don't really know David's mom, you got you know David has some brothers, and their names are mentioned, some of their names are mentioned. You know he's got a couple of sisters, but that really doesn't factor in the story of David. You know that David has, how many wives by this time? Seven, right? Seven, if you include Bathsheba, he's got ten concubines. All right. Most of them will not factor in except for Bathsheba because she is the mother of Solomon who Solomon is going to continue the lineage of David but you can go back and you can read how all those wives came about and the the unique unique situations with all those wives anything else that you might be thinking of that answers the question of who was David the what The the third king He was the third king. Third king of Israel. No, he was the second. The second. A second. That's okay. No, as yeah, so yeah, he's so he's the second, second king of Israel. He's also mentioned in the direct lineage of Joseph, That's right. That's right. Which that factors into you go back to the book of Ruth. Right? And if you remember the book of Ruth, you have Ruth that is then redeemed. And remember Ruth marries who? She marries Boaz. And then Ruth and Boaz has a son named... Obed, and then Obed has a son named Jesse. So when you go back to the genealogy of Christ, you will see not only Ruth mentioned, but you'll also see Bathsheba mentioned, and you'll realize that David was in that lineage, which I think is interesting because, and this is, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to try to distract you. But in the Old Testament, it talks about the lineage of Christ coming through the tribe of Judah, right? But then you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and it talks about Jesse being a Bethlehemite, which would indicate to me he was from the tribe of Benjamin, maybe something that, he has to be from the tribe of Judah, but it's just something that sometimes it strikes me that I would would love to be able to go back and spend more time tracing the genealogies back and figuring out who is connected to who, because sometimes we just read these, our eyes just kind of glaze over, and we're just like, who cares? No! This is really cool stuff to think about how the providence of God works His way through history, and we may not think it's a big deal, but it's a huge thing that, in all the ways that God could have done it, He chose the Steps to then complete that line of redemption. So I just think it's a neat thing talking about how God works these not coincidences, it's providences, how He works these out in our favor. So, any other ideas on who He was? He wasn't the first Son of David, David wasn't the first son. Of David. I'm sorry. That's okay. He was not the first son of Jesse. Right. Is that what you're asking? And isn't that kind of, uh, kind of unusual? Of that? Because usually it's uh, the eldest son that takes the so lineage that's right. That's right. So Jesse, the way that I, or not David, the way that I understand it, he was the runt. He was the youngest. So he was number seven out of seven, which, yes, is very unusual. So when Samuel comes to Jesse's house, First Samuel 16, and he starts with the oldest, and he's like, oh, that's who God's going to pick. And then he goes to the second one. Then he goes to the third one. And he goes all the way down to number seven. And he doesn't even, number seven's not even in the house. They have to go get him from out in the pasture because Jesse just assumed that he wasn't on the candidate list, so. The oldest always wants to be boss. Anytime when the God is willing, the oldest. Well, that's because the oldest is usually the smartest. <laughs> Speaking from experience, usually the oldest is the most responsible, and the, and usually the most intelligent. Usually, <laughs> I just, just, that's been my experience. Miss <laughs> Carol. I was a middle kid, so... I... I don't say it. I'm in trouble. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> any other ideas or anything else that sticks out you might think about on who he was before we go to the next one? His close relationship with Johnson. Okay. Yes. Close Yes. Very intimate relationship. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay, so let's open it up to why do we know him? So Start splurting out your favorite stories. Goliath. Goliath. All right, so that would be First Samuel 17, right? Is where David squares up with Goliath. All right, so that's a very um, big time Sunday school story that we that we are, are taught. Of another reason why we know him. Give me another thing. Yes, don't pray and he's standing up. What is that? Oh, that's Daniel. Sorry. Close. They're both in the Old Testament. Yeah. You're good. You're good. Okay. What, give me something else about David. Why do we know him? He's called man after going heart. Okay. Yes. Here to there. Uh huh. Right? David's true Goliath. Did? He was anointed to be the king, right? He was anointed by Samuel, the same guy that anointed Saul. That is the same guy that anointed David. That's in 1 Samuel 16. And then uh, 1 Samuel 17, he is killing Goliath. And then what happens to his relationship with Saul once he kills Goliath? What'd you say? It went downhill. Yeah, yeah, Chased no. after him. That's right. And what came to my mind was when he cornered Saul in the cave, and he could have killed him, but he was following God's leadership, and he just cut the corner of his, of his yeah, his robe. Yeah. So in First Samuel eighteen, you see where. <sighs> specifically in verse 12, it says that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. And so it was very evident to not just the people around David, but it's also very evident to Saul that the favor and the blessing of God had lifted off of Saul and is now resting upon David. Well, that caused a lot of problems with him between Saul and David. So now Saul is trying to kill David. And so from chapter 18 all the way through the end of of 1 Samuel, which is what? Chapter 32? Chapter 31. So, from chapter 18 all the way to chapter 31 you constantly see conflict, fighting strife between the two and at one point like Ryan said the cave of Adullam whenever Saul had gone in there to use the bathroom and David tore the robe off, there was another time when they were all asleep in the middle of the night and David snuck into the camp and took the spear and took the jug of water and went to the next hilltop and hollered and said I could have done something and I didn't do anything Um, There is always this conflict that we see, and yet even in the midst of the conflict, David had multiple times that he could have settled it. God had already used Samuel to anoint him. He was already the presumed king. And yet he said, I will not stretch out my hand against God's anointed. Talking about Saul. He said, if God wants Saul taken out of the picture, then God can take him out of the picture. And that's something that we see time and time again through David. Where David had all the opportunity in the world to take matters into his own hands. And what did he do? He kept deferring to the timing and the providence of God. So, yeah, we know him because he's the king. We know him because he killed Goliath. We know him because of conflict with Saul. Um, and some of those escapades that then transpired. What are some other reasons why we know about David? You never said one thing bad about Saul. Right. Yes. Yes. In the time that man lived and got him a jug of water because he had said he would like one and they brought his bag and he poured it out because he couldn't drink it. <coughs> the men gave, went after it for him. Right. But he, he wouldn't drink it. Right. Yes. Do you remember where that's at? <laughs> Second Samuel... Uh... Find it for you, young lady. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is where that story's at. So 2 Samuel 23 is recounting of David, and he is on the run um, from the enemy, and he's telling some guys, I wish that I could have a drink from the well back home. And so a group of his men, so this is chapter 23, verse 15 down through uh, verse 17. So he says, I wish I could have a drink. It says, three of his mighty men broke through the enemy lines, drew the water up out of the well, brought it to David and said, here you go, here's some water from the well back home that you're asking for. And David said, I don't feel worthy to drink this water. So he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. Now, when I was younger, well, no, no, I can't, that's a lie. I still struggle with that story. Because if I get up from my safety and my security, and me and two homies, we take off and cut across the hillside, and go through the enemy lines and bring up some water out of a well and then I bring back a mason jar, of this water that I had risked my life to get and I bring it back to this old guy and that guy goes, that's some really nice water and he pours it out on the ground. I'm going to go, then why in the world did you say you wanted to drink water if you weren't going to take a drink of the water? That's just my humanity. I understand he was giving up as an offering. It was a a means of honoring the work of the men. I understand it from the spiritual, biblical stance. But just on the personal side, just to let you know, I'm sitting there going, what in the world? At least take a sip. I mean, at least, at least say I appreciate. It. I'm a, I'll drink half of it and give the rest of it to the Lord. I mean, something. But yeah, there's that story. You're exactly right, Miss Carol, about how the men broke through and then David poured it out. That's right. I thought the same thing. I was like, really? Yes, <laughs> we did all this. Miss in- <laughs> Carol, sip and drink it himself. Doesn't give us an exact mileage, but I mean, they it wasn't like they just walked across the street. Yeah. I mean, they took off on foot, <laughs> yeah. And they and he's like them just taking off from here. I'm mean, just going hypothetically speaking, you know, they take off from here and they make it, you know, county line is where all the enemy is at, and they make it through the enemy there at county line, and they make it all the way to Luther, and they get down there and they draw the water, and they got to come back all this way. And here they show up, and they're like, huh, and he's like, oh, <laughs> I'm a bad I just I read that and my my just humanity goes er. her <laughs> All right. What else? Why else do we know about David? Dancing in the street. Dancing in the street. Why was he dancing in the street? Praising God. Praising God. What was so worthy about praising God? You don't remember? <laughs> okay. The, 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 God. the what? That's when the ark was brought. That's right. So if you remember. Okay, so, oh, see, I don't have it memorized. I should have this all. I should have both these. I should have 1st, 2nd, 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 3rd. Alright, so, what happens is that they are bringing the uh, Ark of the Covenant and they're bringing it back and remember on the way back, they're actually carrying it on a cart, remember? And the cart, the oxen goes to stumble and Uzziah sticks out his hand to try to steady the cart and the Lord strikes him down and people go, why in the world did he strike him down? Because God was very clear that when you transport the Ark, it is to be on the shoulders of the Levites and he was very clear about how that was to be handled they were not doing it God's way and God said yeah you're going to do it my way so they struck him down um, David was scared did not want to con- then bring the ark in to Jerusalem so he parked at another guy's house God started blessing the socks off of the other old boy so then David said I know I'm going to put a tent there in Jerusalem next to my house and then when we bring the ark in this time we're going to bring it in correctly so that's what happens Then they bring it in correctly, and as they are bringing it in, David, seeing I still can't talk and look at it, look it up at the same time. So David then is dancing in front of the ark as they are bringing the ark as a worship as an excitement before God. Somebody was watching. His wife, Michael. His wife was watching. You remember what she said? you You can paraphrase it. Remember what she said? You're an embarrassment. That's right. She that's exactly that's really good. So she, she comes started to, to indicate that he was in a state of some undress. Well, he was in a state of undress, yes, ma'am. Because it said that he was in a loincloth. Which what I think of a loincloth is when you go back to some of those cowboy and Indian movies and the Indians and what they're dressed in, right? Um, no I mean, nothing from the thigh down, nothing from the waist up. They just got a little bath towel that they wrapped around in a certain wood. And so that's what I think of. So yes, he. is dancing in front of the ark as he's coming in. Michael sees him, sees that he's in a state of undress, and she says, you're an embarrassment, and you remember what he says to her. Ah, 2 Samuel chapter (laughs) 6. Woo! Alright. Okay, where are these pages out? Trying to figure it out. Okay. So 2 Samuel chapter 6. So, (laughs) Micah um, let me just read it. Since I found it, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Chapter 6, verse 20. David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. So it's like the wife meets him at the door. (laughs) Scolding him. Scolding him. And then listen to how he responds. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. So, what does he say? He says, You know what? I was doing this to God, the same guy that chose me instead of your daddy, and it chose me instead of your daddy's family. God chose me, meaning Nanny Boo Boo. Okay? That's, that's the, that's the Spence paraphrase of what took on. All right? So, that is 2 Samuel. That's 2 Samuel chapter 6, where he dances in front of the Lord what's another reason that we know about David he, really planned the temple. he did plan the temple he planned, okay so he had, David had his hand. so he was going to build the temple and then God said you can assemble the material but do not build it because you're a man of war and I'll have your son Solomon build it instead that's right that's right prophet. The prophet? Okay. What else? Was he counted as one of the disciples? Or how was that referred to in Acts? I don't know. um, Show me. Acts 2.22 Okay. Um, Then, brother, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he's both dead and buried in his that's on the state, therefore being a your knowing there's one person here in my where he is where he writes he's also counted as one of us okay Think if I if I have this right, you may find something different that stumps me, Harold. But I think um, he's referring to the lineage. So there in Acts 2, they would have had high regard for David, and they would have had high regard for Abraham. So I believe what Peter is doing is Peter is making the connection of the ministry of Jesus Christ through the lineage of David back to Abraham to say that both of these men were looking for Jesus and they were looking to Jesus, and now Jesus has come. So I think he is making that, well, in, like in, like in a simple way, it's like he's name dropping, saying, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why my, this has relevance is because of the influence of David and oh, well, Abraham. I mean, he was sort of a bad boy in a lot of ways, but God said he was a that's right. He was a bad boy in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes. He's what? Very gentle. And other people's wives. Yeah. He's gentle to a point. Right? He did send Uriah to the front lines and then commanded everybody to pull back from Uriah so that Uriah would die. And who was Uriah? That's Jesus. Okay, Bathsheba's oven. What else do we know about Uriah? Uh, he's one of the That's right. So David had this inner circle of his mighty men. And these were the men that came to David when David was on the run from Saul. And these were the men that um, attached themselves to David. And so this was like his his inner circle of people. And I think it's going to be in Chronicles. um, And I'm not going to find it in Chronicles. But you can go back and you can look at it and there's there's a listing of David's mighty men. Especially the 30 mighty men. Now he had he had more than just 30, but there was 30 men. I think it's in First or 2 Chronicles that gives us the retelling of it. But it talks about how these 30 mighty men not only made a name for themselves, but what they did that earned them the entrance into the 30 mighty men, into that special fraternity. Okay, And it gives us the list of all of these mighty men. And right there towards the end is Uriah the Hittite. So you get... To me, this is just mind-boggling. So you get there to uh, this would be Second Samuel chapter eleven, and you see the story of Bathsheba. And when David inquires who she is, the messenger comes back and says that is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. So David knows that this is one of his best friend's wives. Joining in Second Samuel. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know that is like a high level of scandalous. I mean, that is just terrible that you would I mean, you know who she is and you know who she's married to. These are the 30 mighty men that you'd spent days, months, maybe even years with as you were on the run from from Saul. These are the mighty men that stood up for you. These are the mighty men that defended you. These are the mighty men that went to battle with you. So you knew who these people was. It wasn't like an acquaintance. It wasn't like just somebody that you'd heard about. No. I just think that's different love. Yes, ma'am. Well, I, there's, it's 2 Samuel uh, seven, uh, chapter 11, which tells you a lot about David and him going up on the rooftop. Yes, ma'am. The first verse. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Yes. And it talks about the time of the year when kings went out to battle and David stayed home. Yes. Not where he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, Sabrina, 2 Samuel twenty three and verse thirty nine talks about Uriah, and then here it says there was thirty seven at all, but it mentions but it mentions three of the thirty that were his his closest inner circle. Yes. Kind of one of those like Peter, James, and John, right? Or Jesus, right? He had his disciples and he has intimates, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, so some of the things that I just had written down. Um, you get to 2 Samuel chapter two after the death of Saul. Um, David is made king of you know which area. Judah, right? So he's made king of Judah and then you get down to 2nd Samuel chapter 5 and he is made king of Israel. Okay, so sometimes we just think that he was the next king, but we don't. But sometimes we skip over the fact that he was first king of Judah, the two southern tribes, and then it was some time later before he then um, was made king over the ten northern tribes, uniting the twelve tribes of Israel. You already mentioned Second Samuel chapter, excuse me, chapter eleven, where Bathsheba enters into the story, and then you get to Second Samuel chapter twelve. And um, the child dies that Bathsheba had born. Solomon is born to Bathsheba. But really from 2 Samuel chapter 12 all the way through to First Kings chapter 1, you start to see the pattern of conflict. Conflict. Problems. Trouble. You saw all the way up to first Samuel or to 2 Samuel chapter 10, it's like David is just success after success after success, victory after victory after victory, and then the sin of Bathsheba, and then it's like everything just falls apart. And we don't have the time tonight to recount every single story, but it, talking about Amon and Tamar, talking about Absalom, and not just Absalom, but then it talks about the census, the revenge on the Gibeonites. I mean, there is just story after story of how David met challenge and obstacle and um, just problem after problem after problem transpired from 2 Samuel chapter 12 all the way through 1 Kings chapter 1. So, for the sake of time, let's just think about what lessons does David teach us? Any ideas? I've got some I'll give you, but any ideas that stick out to you? Right through the mustard seed. Okay. He made temptation overcome what he knew was right. That's right. I'm, I take away from David's life story and the way he dealt with Saul, especially in how modern day sometimes we're quick to judge our pastors and people who God has put in our leadership even to the point of president or whatever you know despite whether we agree or disagree God has placed all those people in leadership above us and we're to be respectful of that cuz like you said if God wanted to take them out right and they've got to answer to God for yes know, yes our job to be faithful and what God has taught us to do. That's right. That's good. That's good. All right, so let me give you one while you're thinking. So one of the things that sticks out to me is how God prepares us for what He has for us. And where I get this from is you get back over to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and uh, if you remember the story... <clears throat> Jesse got David and said, "Hey, your brothers are out fighting with King Saul. I want you to take some provisions, food. I want you to take them to the front lines to give it to your brothers." So David shows up there at the battle, um, and they weren't fighting; they were drawn up. They were on either side of the, the valley, and uh, David gets up to his brothers. About that time, Goliath comes out. Remember, and Goliath comes out and says, "Hey, you know I defy the God of Israel. You got someone you can fight against me? Then let's fight." If You know, he wins, we'll be your servants. If I win, you all have to be our servants. And while he's doing this, it says all the people on the side of Israel were trembling and they were all scared in their boots. And David's like. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that thinks he's going to blaspheme the name of God? Well, then that gets back to Saul. So then Saul brings David in and he's like, Who do you think you are? And if you think to what David says, um, chapter 17 and verse 33, Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him with to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said... David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And there, when there came a lion or a bear and took a, fl- a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him down and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. David says, I'm not scared of that dude. I don't care if he's nine foot tall. I don't care if his pinky is the size of my thigh. It doesn't matter to me. I have been prepared in out in the wilderness fighting lions and tigers and bears oh my, I've been out there and if I can beat up on them I can beat up on him and so sometimes we start to think God's forgotten about us or we start to think that God's abandoned us we start to think that where we're at has no point and has no purpose. And we have no idea that the situation that God may have us sin, might be readying us, might be preparing us for the situation he has next. So when David's out there with the lions and tigers and bears of mine, he's probably not thinking about what's going to happen when Goliath shows up. But because he had been faithful with that, he was ready to be faithful in the next thing. And God does that by God's proving grounds of preparing you and I for His service and for the things for Him. And I think that is fascinating when we start to think about sometimes, hey, I, I, I don't feel like we're doing anything. I don't feel like I have a purpose. I don't feel like I have a place. I don't feel like I have something that I that I need to do. And you never know how God may be using your moment today to prepare you for what He has do for tomorrow. So today might be mopping a floor. Today might be tending sheep. Today might be something that you might find to be menial. Something that you might find to be unimportant. Something that you might not even enjoy to do. But it may be God is using this to get you ready for what God has for you. Next. And that's something that has stuck out to me, the way that David, and the way that I picture this, because I said, remember, Saul, was head and shoulders above everybody else. Remember that? I Remember that? So so this is how it works in my mind. I think of Saul, and he's like, you know, six, four, six, five, six, six, and then you got David, and he's down to here. You know, and David's looking up at Saul, and going, I ain't scared of him. And you know, and I, that's that's the way that it comes in my mind. And I ain't scared of him. I <laughs> ain't You know, and Saul's looking down at him going, okay, all right. <laughs> Have that. So, anything else to come to your mind? David had a repentant heart. David had a repentant heart, right? So that's Psalm 51, 52. right? Psalm 51, after Nathan comes and rebukes David. And then David goes and repents before the Lord. And uh, when Saul pointed out his sin, he was quick to repent of uh, the sin, but that didn't take away the consequence. Um, he repented, God forgave him, but there was still a consequence. Or his action. Yes. So was he sixteen when he became king? Does that sound right? Did you look did you know? I did not look that up. I did not look how old he was. I don't think he would have been sixteen. Because he was he was in Saul's service for a number of years before he gets he was on the run from Saul, he was at the Philistines for a while. I I don't think well. Let me just let me just see here. It probably it probably says it. The Bible tells us all kinds of good stuff. Uh, so it's going to be Second Samuel. Uh, uh, I don't know. I know in Second Samuel he's anointed king of Judah, but I don't see. Thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned for. Thank you, thank you. So he was 30. Close, close Harold. There's a lot of 16 year olds I think they're 30. <laughs> yeah, close, alright. So, so the last thing that sticks out to me as far as the lesson is in 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5 and in verse 5 it gives us a bit of <coughs> kind of history or kind of a, a date, how to set these dates. So remember in 2 Samuel chapter 2 he's made king of Judah. But then the time elapses. God had already said, you're going to be the king of everybody. So you got David sitting there and he is the king of Hebron and he, or he's the king of Judah and he's living in Hebron. But then there is a time that elapses. There's a time and this is what sticks out to me. Chapter 5 and verse 5 of 2 Samuel. It says at Hebron, he, over, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months and at Jerusalem he reigned over all and Israel and Judah 33 years. Now what are you trying to say, Spence? Well, there was six years between the time that he took the throne in Judah, between he unified the kingdom with Israel. For over six years, no seven years, seven years seven and a half years, for over seven and a half years, he was waiting on the timing of God, it goes back to what Ryan was talking about, how with Saul and how he was not willing to step in front of God, and he had already been told, you're going to be the king of the United Kingdom, and yet he was willing to wait for seven and a half years for the timing of God, now why does this speak to me, I am not the most patient person and I think if I've got to wait 30 seconds, I have waited too long. I just don't think, I, I, I just, not there. And sometimes you start to think, for seven and a half years, David was patient. For seven and a half years, David woke up saying, God, when is it going to be the time? God, when is it going to take place? There was another king that was established in Israel, and that battle had to go. You had Abner, you had Joab, you had a whole history there between 2 Samuel chapter 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 5. But it's this idea that David was willing to wait on the timing of of God. And too often we are tempted to say, "Well, I believe God has said I could have it, but since God hasn't given it to me yet, I'm going to figure out how I can get it." So then we are tempted to short circuit the timing of God because we want it now. What is that JG Wentworth? It's my money and I want it now. Right? It's this idea that we have this mentality that we deserve it right now. And sometimes we are not willing to wait on the timing of God, even though it might be what God has willed for us to have. It may not be the timing of God and it may not be one of those things that God has brought about in His purpose. Um, Jaylene and I got married. We started having kids. We had uh, boom! 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 And then fizzle, <laughs> fizzle for like seven years, and for like seven years, people are like, "Are you done having kids?" I don't think so. Was something wrong? I, I, not that I know of. And we went along for seven years, nothing, and then all of a sudden, God was like. Oh yeah, 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 you are, right? All right? So then he goes, you know, so then we're sitting there and he goes, boom, boom, boom. Alright? Just bam, bam, bam. And you're like, why do you do that, God? Well, maybe because, you know, God's like, well, let's just play with you. I don't know. Maybe God has a purpose. I don't know. Maybe God thinks, hey, it's cool to be 42 and change your diapers. I don't know. But God, I'm just going to say that God probably has a timing in place. But it's one of those things that you and I can look around and go, well, God, and God's like, I got it. I got it. If you're saved, you're going to live forever. Ever. So these five years, these 10 years, these 50 years really isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. It's not, it's not really that big of a, a thing. And yet we are tempted to start to question the goodness of God, start to question the ability of God, or we start questioning the faithfulness of God because we start questioning the timing of God. Now, I'm not saying that you just sit around and go, you know what, I'm just going to not do anything and just wait on the time of God. No, you know, God, God has given us opportunities to serve. But at the same time, let us not um, fall into that temptation of trying to short circuit. So you go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, and what David does is David's like, hmm, I'm the king of Judah. I'm supposed to be the king of Judah and Israel. And he's like, and God said, I got this. For seven plus years, he waited for that timing to come about when that timing came about it was God's timing and it was in God's way and it was for God's glory whenever I have sought to shorten the timeline that God has given normally it's not for God's glory it's for my glory now I can't tell you the timing of God but I can tell you that God has a timing in His plan and in His will for us So sometimes, you and I just need to trust in His timing. Yes, ma'am. And He has said, not my will, but thine. That's right. Yes. That's a hard lesson. Yes. Yes. To wait. Waiting is difficult. If the Lord wills. Right. Unless you're at the dentist, and then you're willing to wait as long as you need to. (laughs) Right? But I mean, waiting, that's, that's a challenge. Yes. Yes. That's the lesson he's teaching you at the dentist. There's a song <laughs> yeah. I've been listening to a bit on the radio, and it's about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the song is, God's four days late, He's right on time. That's right. Yeah. Right That's good. Four days late, right on time. Mm-hmm. That's good. good to see you all tonight. Thank you all for being here. 945 we'll do Sunday school this Sunday and then we'll have the morning service at 1045 and then this coming Sunday evening we'll have the Lord's Supper at 6pm and then after that we're going to have a fellowship, potluck whatever you want to call it, just a time that we get to sit around and be a church family and uh, get to enjoy ourselves. So that is coming up this Sunday hope that you'll come back and be a part of that. Hope you'll bring somebody with you so grateful that you were here tonight. Uh, Solomon, Lord willing, will be the, the subject um, of next Wednesday night. Deal? Deal? Alright, let me pray for us and we'll go home. Father, thank you for these people. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the model. Thank you for the example. Thank you for the person of David. And God, may we learn. May we learn the good things. May we be warned about the bad things, but God, may we look to Your Word for an example and model of how we're to live our lives. Father, bless us as we go throughout this week. Bless um, those that are sick, those that are hurting, those on the prayer request list. God, especially be with Mr. Goggin as he's in the hospital tonight. And Father, I pray that You bring us back to this place, this coming Lord's Day. And I ask all these things in Your Son's name. Amen.